You're listening to a special edition of the Outpost Podcast with Dr. Ray Mitch. Well, welcome, everybody, to the third special edition of the Outpost Podcast. We're talking about silent retreats, and uh, it is an opportunity to um, introduce you to some people other than me uh, that are experiencing the silent retreat in silence and solitude, and I want you to hear from the young, very young, the, not very, the young people that are basically the target of what we're trying to accomplish in these silent retreats and just realize that this is not something that uh, this generation, if you want to categorize it or stereotype it, um, this generation does. Their their lives are littered with noise and commotion and activity and comparisons (laughs) and all manner of things. And so what we have oftentimes with our retreats is um, young people coming and experiencing something that they have never experienced before. In this particular edition, you're going to hear from two of our veterans. They have been with us the entire time in their undergraduate career in psychology. Uh, and so they, they have been doing uh, a silent retreat, I believe, once or twice a year all, all the way through. And so they, they have a little bit different take on some of the experiences and how students and young people look at this once they get introduced to it. And that's, uh, uh, that's unique in and of itself. I think this is worth listening to because, like I said, this is the, the, the nature and the target of the people that we would like to introduce to these very ancient um, spiritual disciplines and, um, and, and allow them the opportunity to learn uh, through that rather than having somebody tell them what they should think. And that's, that's this. I, I say to my students all the time when they come, look, this, there's not a speaker for this retreat. The speaker is God, and the, and the audience is you of one, not a bunch of other people. And so um, without further delay, let me introduce Abigail Guadnola, uh, and she has her own observations that I would like for you to be able to hear, and here she is. Okay. All right. My name's Abigail. I graduated in 2020 in December, and this is my sixth silent retreat here at Sacred Heart. And I think what makes it so special is that it it, it really is a place that is like none other. We often like joke and call it Narnia. Um, and I think that is a very apt description because it is a lot like um, the C.S. Lewis quote of further up and further in and digging into 
yourself and finding this space of quiet. And I was journaling about it last night. And I was like, I think I often come to silent retreat and I really want this like big mountaintop moment. And I think about, you know, the winter camps I did in high school and how these were these awesome mountaintop moments. And I was thinking about it and I was like, but those never lasted. They were these giant manufactured mountaintop moments and they were great and they were fun, but they didn't create a lasting change. And I think the difference between something like that and something like this is that those aren't authentic. And this, this is, this is genuinely coming and sitting in the silence and sitting in this space that is incredibly sacred. And it's the irony of the name is sacred heart is it is so sacred. And I think what we see in scripture is that Jesus and God comes in the moments we don't expect, the things that we don't plan for. So we see, you know, he wasn't in the fire, wasn't in the earthquake, you know, wasn't in all of these things, but he came in the still small voice. And it's so easy in daily life to get super distracted, but to come to a place where it's like, you you don't have a choice. You're quiet. Otherwise you get a death glare. (laughs) Not really, but um, you come into this space and it's like, oh, okay. Like I'm, I'm here and, and God really does love to show up in the ways that we don't expect. Um, I think, like I said, he, Everybody wants to have this giant mountaintop moment and you leave and oh, everything's so much better. My life is great. And that's, that's not what it is. And I was thinking about it of what I have to go back to and going back to a place that is not something I would consider to be home, a job that kicks my butt quite frequently um, and a lot of craziness and a lot of busyness. And silent retreat doesn't change that, but what it really does is give me the opportunity to come and sit. And whether it's the way I I was kind of thinking about it last night is it's almost like originally I was thinking trench warfare is like life. And then silent retreat is like when you get pulled out for like reprieve. Um, But that analogy didn't work totally well. So I'll put it in terms like a hockey game of this is like, the break in 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 the in between the periods where you're back in the locker room and it's either, you know, your coach is telling you, okay, this is what needs to get fixed. Like, let me bring this to your attention. Or your coach is like, hey, you did great. Like, take a minute and rest. And so, you know, some retreats I've come on and I've been like, I'm going to rest. And God's like, actually, what you need to do is you need to start like working on, you know, how do you view yourself? How do you view me? Um, and other retreats like this one, I come in and I'm like, all right, here's my list. I have so many things I need to work out because my life is a mess. And God's like, no, actually like you've been running too hard, too fast for too long and you need to pause. And, um, it's an experience unlike any other. And I think why you would want to put yourself through that is, to see what's on the other side. We talk about like the definition of insanity being doing the same thing over and over again. And so a lot of times I think we, we do the same thing. We go to church, we do the checklist. We can even talk about how we don't want to be checklist Christians, but we fall into the same patterns. And so this is doing something different. This is engaging in 
ancient spiritual traditions of, you know, I mean, this is an Ignatian retreat house, it's Ignatian practices. And so it's, it's so different and it's checking out of social media and of like this ridiculous rat race where everywhere you go is so loud and it's just this, this noise and it gets really hard to hear, but you come into this space of silence and it's like, oh, I can breathe. And so I think that makes it special and that's why you'd want to go is it's a chance to just breathe and to be, and it's scary and it's horrifying and <laughs> this might be my sixth retreat, but there's still like that little bit of like anxiety where I'm like, I have to be quiet. I have to sit with my thoughts. And really what you come in face to face with is this perception you had of God and yourself. And then you come face to face with reality. And it's great because reality isn't the perception you have because you're looking through a warped lens but that's just me. It's like when we talk about shame versus grace and how shame will create this like quick change and it does it for a time and it works for a time and everyone wants that because it's quick, it's easy, it's a Band-Aid. But grace takes a lot longer, but it's lasting. But, yeah. Grace and growth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate Always. your time. All right. Well, that is Abigail, and uh, she had some interesting points to make, and I will underscore just a few of those. I think one of the things that uh, stands out is the the mythology that has grown up, at least around in CCU, about our silent retreats and the silent retreat house that we are hosted by. Um, and it being very much like Narnia, it's ironic um, that our host, to get into their property, there is a narrow gate, and that has all the symbolism that you would expect, um, p- particularly from Scripture and Jesus talking about um, the narrow road. And so, um, and, and once you enter that, you have a very distinct feeling of you're entering another world and uh, a sacred world in a lot of ways. And I felt that from the very beginning with my first retreat when I was um, given that as an assignment to go. And I felt like I walked onto the grounds and it was something other than the, the world that I normally knew. And that's exactly uh, the context in which oftentimes I think our hearts end up being open to what God has to say to us, that he probably has been saying it all along, but we're distracted people, and and it's very easy to get very distracted by it all. And going to a place like this, you're not going to find that by going off to the mountains by yourself and, you know, going off the grid and not listening to anything and, and doing it in silence. There is a different Uh, I think what the young people would call a different vibe about being at a place like this that um, has been inhabited by a lot of other people who have been on this journey as well. And I I think oftentimes when we go off by ourselves and call that a silent retreat, uh, it is a control mechanism of ours 
in an attempt to not have to be as vulnerable because we always got an out um, as we would be in the circumstances of this particular one. So the, the other thing I would underscore is really the, the very nature of what we do is really fundamentally very different than, than the typical uh, uh, protocol, if you will, of a silent retreat. Usually, the silent retreat is a very individual experience, and the reality is it is, right? It's, it's, um, it's an individual journey, for sure. The, the thing is, is that when we're in a context with other people, God can speak not only in the silence, but he can also speak through other people's experiences. And that's what we get to hear when we do it in community and not alone, while at the same time being silent. And so... Um, that's just a few thoughts as a result of what you heard from Abigail. The next young woman is, uh, uh, is named, uh, Emily and she will introduce herself and some of her experiences. And then I will close it up when we get to the end. So here is Emily. My name is Emily. I graduated from CCU in the spring of 2020. And this is my fifth silent spiritual retreat but through CCU. Um, the first time I went on one, <laughs> I think I was asking like a very similar question of why would I do this? Like, why would I bother with this? This is ridiculous. Why would I go sit in silence on purpose? Um, and I don't think that like the after that first retreat, I had quite put my finger on the answer. All I knew was that it was good and I wanted to do it again. And I, it took me maybe until like number two or three before I realized the reason why we do this is not, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's just as simple as like one thing, you know, like we do this because it's good for us to be quiet. I wish it were that simple. Yeah. And, it, and that's true. It's good for us to be silent, especially like when we're in such a busy, hectic, intense life society where like hustle and the grind is glorified. Like that is in it, the silence in itself is good. But I think we do it to meet ourselves as we are face to face, so to speak. And not just to meet ourselves, but to meet others also face-to-face -face and to be seen and to see others. And also to be met by God face-to-face -face and to see. And I, I hesitate to say to allow him to see us as we are because he already does that, but to stop trying to perform for him or hide, or hide. <laughs> or do any of the other number of things that we all like to do um, when it comes to facing the God of the universe. <clears throat> so I guess if it's really going to be summed up, we do this to see and be seen. Okay. Yeah. So benefits? Benefits. Um, <laughs> Which is a mixed bag after today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Benefits, um, a greater understanding of myself, 
an inability to face the things that I didn't want to face and to see like really ugly and hard truths about myself that I had previously had been like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm good. Um, and a truer and deeper understanding of who God says he is and frankly, why I should care and why that's relevant to me and why God as the, as Abba, God as the father of the prodigal is so important. I've also, um, I've also gained community and hard to admit, is it? It, it, it is hard to admit. I don't, because it's twofold. You know, we come here, we call it Narnia affectionately. And so we gain all of these things and we gain these people in this community. And then it doesn't exist outside of the space again in the same iteration that it did. But that being said, I think it also has given me the ability to, and the desire to seek out that kind of community over and over and over again. So it's temporary, but recurring. And like deeply, deeply good. I think that seeing myself for a long time, I saw myself as like a I would put it like a cockroach in God's cosmic kitchen. <laughs> and he was just looking at me like, oh, yikes. Got to get rid of that. Or call the exterminator, whatever. Smite her. Okay, and smite her. Yes. <laughs> and I can't remember if it was my third or fourth retreat, but I was working through Ruthless Trust, I think, by Brennan Manning. And... I had written something about um, like the prodigal when he came back, like his motives may have been mixed, but at the end of the day, like what he truly did was he trusted his Abba's love for him. And that act of like trust was the hump that I couldn't get over. Cause I was like, this is all cool and great in theory. This is all like wonderful, you know, in theory, but Trusting that it was true was like the next step that I really couldn't get past or couldn't get past for a really long time. And the image of like trudging home and like not having anything or any reason really to want to come home except trusting that I would still be loved when I did was what pushed me to maybe I can like come home. And maybe I can trust. If the prodigal could do it, maybe I can too. And it was, I hesitate to be, you know, over melodramatic, but life-changing in a lot of ways. And I see that leaking into other parts of my life, into the way that I like choose to relate to other people, in the way that I relate to myself and to clients and all of 
like my world. It's leaks out that belief that I'm worthy as is, like no ifs, ands, or buts. And I'm still worthy when I don't believe that I am. And it doesn't matter. My belief, God's love and grace is not contingent on my belief in it. It just is. So, and I don't know. I can. So what, um, what parts of it would you, would you want to say? I mean, if, if there was somebody listening that, that it's like, um, I don't know why I need to do something like this. Um, you know, what, what is the biggest motivation? Because initially, like you said, motivation and grace and love are completely disconnected from one another. Um, but is there something about that you experienced here that other people couldn't see, they can only hear about? You know what I mean? Something that I experienced here that other people couldn't see, they could, like, I could only tell them about it and yeah. hope that they understood. Yeah. <clears throat> I will say somewhat facetiously, because I fell into this category, I think that people who say, why would I need this, are the people who need it the most. <laughs> um, it, pot, kettle, all of the oh, things. Yeah, <laughs> I don't... I think transformation. And I don't... I think the way that I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to put a finger on it other than transformation. Which we talked about, right? I mean, it's how, how do you describe an experience that's so yeah. profoundly individual that how can you relate it to somebody who comes and they're coming with different stuff? I, I mean, I don't think, I don't think there is a way to do that. I don't think that there is a way to sufficiently, like in our human language, put words to this experience that fully encompasses everything that it is. And I think that's why I write when I'm here because for me that helps, like, helps me comprehend it in some ways and it helps me, helps give me language to communicate that to other people. But it's so individual and so personal that I can sit here and say transformation and life-changing and all of these like big, amazing words, but until you've experienced it and know for yourself what those things mean, there's no way to describe it. It defies expectations, completely surpasses any predictions that we could have. And the things that we think that we come in thinking like, oh, this is what I need to talk about with God. This is, here's my laundry list of like all my grievances against God and blah, 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 you know. How many people have come to this, this retreat <laughs> doing that, right? I was one oh, of them. <laughs> I was one of them. I had my checklist and I had my, you know, screw this. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> And there was a list by that. And there was a list by, you know, (laughs) I had list after list after list. And then truly at the end of the day, it's, I think the best way that I can sum it up, like the whole experience. And this is like, 
open for interpretation is you are met face to face, unveiled, unmasked, and whatever that means for the per for you for that person that comes, that's that's what it is. But you can't. My personal experience won't dictate somebody else's. But I think that the truth of that runs through every single person's experience here is that in some capacity they were met face to face. Which can be very unnerving. Yes. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. And to, you know, when we take off that veil and, you know, see ourselves in the mirror and allow other people to see the same things that we see, it's terrifying. That's, that's the that's only the word, word for it. It's yeah. petrifying. <laughs> and you show up and you suddenly you have a face that you're showing to other people and you're like waiting for the judgment to fall, waiting for someone to declare you guilty. Yep whether that's other people or God or ourselves, you know, we're waiting for that. And then that blow never comes and it's so confusing. And you sit there and you're like, but wait, I was wait, like, why aren't you condemning me? Like, this is what I deserve. And, and then everybody who's here and God, like every, everything that goes into it is like, no, that's not, that's not true. That's not what we're doing. You're not condemned. We're not going to pass judgment on you. You are loved and you are seen and you are known. And we call you beloved and God calls us beloved. And that's like the truth at the heart of it all is the idea of being and the truth, the reality of being beloved and how do we live as though we are and live within that truth and carry that out of here even far beyond Sunday. Yeah, that's so meaningful that you had it inscribed on your arm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did. That's a good reminder. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's, that's it. I don't know. I, I could talk. I tell... Yeah. I tell everybody about this and I tell them all, I'm like, you should go, you should do it. Just go for a day even. Yeah. And they're always like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I want six but, hours. Yeah. I'm like, just <clears throat> two hours, just go yeah. and spend the after, you know, but yeah. it's, I think that that's, if I were going to yeah. sum it up, that would be it. So. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. It's, all right. Well, there you have it for um, if you add up all of our uh, podcasts that we've done, the traditional version, the audio only, uh, we have six different perspectives that have been um, articulated about the silent retreats and each one just a little different. Everybody's needs are different. They perspect. They <clears throat> perspect. They each have different perspectives about all of this. And so I, uh, I, I have. Um, appreciate their willingness to be guinea pigs for such a thing. 
but I, I, I think there's some value in hearing exactly the kind of impact that any contribution people make to SGI has and uh, the, the impact it has on the spiritual development of young people. And in a lot of cases, what we've had is we've had uh, students and, and uh, young adults come into one of these with a significant chip on their shoulder about the church and about uh, the about Christianity and God. And I'm not saying it, it completely is gone, but I think it certainly gets loosened a good bit by the community that, that can be created in a remarkable period of time, actually. Uh, we start meeting on a Thursday night and we leave on a Sunday at, at after lunch, and, and that's not very much time. And yet, they they leave changed in a lot of ways and that's that's there's no guarantees uh, you know it it people can come and have their hearts entirely closed to god and it can be a nice rest and retreat but that's about it and 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 yet there's still the conversations there are still the walks there are still the perspectives shared by others that has a way of uh, weaseling its way into uh, their lives, and that that may be the first step back into exploring a relationship with Jesus that is uniquely their own rather than someone else's. Uh, it's pretty easy to, to pick a fight with a God that is somebody else's God, if you want to put it that way, or somebody else's perspective about God versus forging your own built on what he reveals about himself in scripture and though my own particular issues that come into play when I'm trying to relate to a God like that. And so um, that's what this provides a context for. And I will often say uh, to people that are coming is that you can belong before you ever believe in, in this. And so just because we're coming to a Jesuit silent retreat house and it has all the trappings of uh, Catholicism and everything else and all the iconography and all the statues and everything else, it, it, it's just simply a place that um, and a space for you that if you're willing to have your heart open to hear what uh, God wants to say and how he wants to meet with you, and it's going to be uniquely for you. It's not going to be for anybody else. And that's what we try to offer. I, I, I am not there. Certainly Dr. Saxby is not there. Uh, as I said before, we're not there to tell people what to think. We're simply there to facilitate uh, the, the journey that they're on and certainly in the process get to know what their journey is like for them because everybody's a little different they don't have to be the same uh, they don't have to have the same potholes in them um, and that's and that is uh, in and of itself it, you walk away being seen and being known and maybe uh, invited to know some other people uh, that can be part of your journey as well. So that's it for tonight. I, I, I want to remind people that the reason, one of the major reasons for me doing these interviews was to let people get a view of what their contributions allow us to do in doing these silent retreats. Uh, it is not 
it is not a cheap undertaking by any stretch of the imagination. And so for young people to, to generate and find the kind of income uh, to do something like this, which for a whole weekend from Thursday uh, evening to Sunday at lunch is $360, that, that's a lot of money. And so our purpose with SGI is to raise the kind of funds necessary to make it possible to scholarship people who need it and make it possible for them to, to uh, attend, even if they can't afford it at all. And, and that's a mutual commitment, certainly between us and Sacred Heart as well. That's their normal operating policy at Sacred Heart. So, um, so we want to be able to make that possible. And your partnership and contributions and donations go a long, long way toward uh, making that possible. So if you're interested and you, you want to partner with us, you can use the donate button, sgi-net.org slash donate and uh, make a donation. And if it, it was a recurring one, that would be wonderful. Um, I, you know, we would be grateful for anything that people want to give to support doing these retreats uh, for young people to introduce them to Jesus as he is, not as they think he is. So there's that. If you'd rather send you know, a physical check, you certainly can do that. Just send it to SGI at P.O. Box 322, East Glen, Glen Colorado, 80614. And uh, that, would be, that would be wonderful as well. So either way, please, please prayerfully consider if there's any way that you can help us out on that front. Um, a couple other housekeeping announcements. Um, I mentioned in the last podcast that uh, my book was to be released. It was indeed released and can be found on Amazon uh, and on Barnes & Noble and on sgi-net.org. Um, it is listed under the SGI store. And you can make an order there, and as soon as I get a shipment in, I will be sending those out to all the people that are interested. That, that is a way, certainly, to support the, the vision and the mission of SGI as well. So, um, so there's that. And the other thing, for all you people that are here in the Denver area, um, coming up on uh, January, wow, February 10th at 1.30 in the afternoon, uh, we will be having a book launch party uh, at uh, on CCU's campus in Leprino Hall, and you are more than welcome to, to come. You get to hear from my publisher and his observations and thoughts about uh, this book. And uh, I'll be reading a few excerpts from the book that I th think are worth um, taking note of. And then we'll just uh, hang out, eat brownies and cookie bars and anything else that make us fat but are good. Um, and uh, if you want, I'll also uh, sign a book for you as well um, if you want that. So <clears throat> that's it, like I said, for tonight. Thanks so much for joining me. And... As always, I'll be here waiting for you next time, and love you later. Bye. <laughs>